Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we got a lot of things to get to today. College football, the jazz being sold. Um, that, that is such a mind blower. Uh, if you didn't hear the press comps, we're going to play it for you coming up next. thought we'd start off with a little college football, though. Jeff Grimes tweaking the uh, BYU offense, trying to keep them on edge. Uh, they had an easy, solid performance against Texas State, 35 at the half, 52 points in the game. Now, do it against Western Kentucky and have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted so you're ready to go against Boise State because that is obviously a humongous game. Here's Jeff Grimes, BYU's offensive coordinator. I feel like our team is continuing to to show the maturity that, that we're hoping for this year, and that is one that that every week feels like that game is the most important game of the year because it is. Um, so I felt good about it, and I think we're, we're in position um, – uh, to have another good week and about where I'd expect to be on a Wednesday. Perfect. Uh, we'll start questions from Jared Lloyd, uh, Daily Herald. Hey, Jeff. We talked earlier to Tyler, and and uh, looks like we'll be talking to Shione today. When you have a group of guys that, that can kind of work together, like Tyler and Peeney and, and now Shione joining that mix, Miles, What's that like? Because guys are, you know, they're competitors. They want to be on the field, but at the same point, you know, that they know that other guys are talented. What's it like working with a group like that? Um, you know, on a really good team, that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, when when I've been on on good teams, there's a, there's a healthy competition between guys at the same position. And at times there there's probably some private resentment towards another player that might be playing a little bit more than you are. But ultimately, we're all in it for the good of the team. And I think our guys have have shown that they're that they're willing, willing to show up and work hard every day, whether they're whether they're getting a few reps or a lot. And one of the things that I say to guys that may not be getting as many reps as they want is that um, you have to not count your reps, but make your make your reps count. And we, we've got a few guys that fall into that category right now. But I'm, I'm pleased with the direction that we're headed there at, at running back. And, and Tyler and Peeney continue um, to be the top two guys and really pleased with the way that they ran, uh, especially with a, with a physical nature to the finish of their runs in this last game. I also wanted to ask about efficiency. I mean, you score touchdowns on six of your first seven drives. The only one that isn't is that bad snap. And and then second half, you know, not not the same level of success as you kind of, you know, shuffled in a lot of guys. How do you balance those things and just looking at the efficiency of the offense? Well, um, you certainly would like to be able to continue with that the rest of the time. Um, but it's an opportunity for young guys to learn. And it's also an opportunity for you as a coach to maybe point out to somebody, this is why you are a backup. This is why you're not getting more playing time. And I, I felt like that was, that was um, an, an obvious um, sign of that with certain guys. And so I, I would love to be able to continue the type of production that, that we start with. Um, but often that's not the case. However, the expectation is the same. And so we, we need some of those guys to step up. And I talked to them after the game about how, how often you may not realize that you're just a player or two away from being in the game more frequently. And so hopefully those guys will learn from that experience. Okay. Any other questions for coach? I've got another one, Jeff, if you 
if nobody else is, is asking, I'll grab it. I'll grab you for another one. I wanted to ask about big picture. Um, this team has obviously emphasized that whether you're a walk-on or a preferred walk-on or a scholarship guy or, you know, one, two, three, four, five star, it's going to come in and you're going to have to earn your, earn your, um, your, earn your opportunities. Is that the same approach that you've seen at most places that you've been, or is it different at different places as far as how they handle the difference between, you know, highly recruited guys and walk-ons and those types of things? I just wonder what that, that difference is like. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are two factors there. One, I would say that um, as coaches, our jobs depend on playing the best players and, and um, producing players at, at our position and on our side of the ball. And so I think everywhere that I've been, coaches are certainly committed to playing the best players and developing their talent, whether a guy is a five-star, a two-star, or, or a, a walk-on no-star. And so I, I don't think that's different from place to place. I think what's a little bit different here is the quality of some of the walk-ons that we get uh, being a little bit closer to some of the guys that are on scholarship. I think we have um, two things going for us in that regard. One, obviously, is the connection to the church and a lot of players who would who would choose to come here and play at BYU. Maybe they've grown up uh, a BYU fan their entire lives, and maybe they have some offers from other places, but would still choose to come here and walk on and attempt to prove themselves over maybe an offer somewhere else. And so I, I think we've done well with with those kind of guys. And if you, if you look at some of the guys that are that are producing for us, I think you can certainly see that. And then I think we've also done a good job of identifying some of that local talent and going out and grabbing some of those guys and convincing them that this would be a good opportunity for them and they'll have a chance to to earn a scholarship. Uh, Jeff, oh, the, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. No, no. Uh, Jeff, I, I was just going to ask, um, you know, with, with Zach Wilson, I know you get bothered about him, about him a lot, but I'm working on a story about him. And, you know, across the college landscape, there's, you know, a lot of focus on Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones at Alabama. But in, in your eyes, what makes Zach different on the field than, say, maybe some quarterbacks you've seen over the years, whether you've coached them or not? Um. Well, I think one is is just his his arm talent. You know, um, a lot of guys don't have the ability to push the ball the way that he does. And you know, a, a lot of people talk about the the long throws and and you know the long throws. A lot of people can throw a ball a long way. Um, being able to throw a ball a long way to a place that only your guy can catch it is something different. Something even harder for most guys to do is to be able to drive the ball across the field on an out route or a comeback. And a lot of guys just don't have the the zip in their arm to make that happen. And so he's, you know, you, you hear it said all the time about quarterbacks, he can make all the throws. I honestly haven't been around a lot of quarterbacks who can make all the throws. And then I've been around a few quarterbacks who could make all the throws physically, but they couldn't figure out which guy to throw it to. And Zach's incredibly intelligent and uh, his mind works really fast and just sees things on the field um, in, in a way that, that I think very few guys do. And then I would say on top of that, it's just his passion for the game. And that passion for the game drives him to really, really work hard at it. Um, 
I was I was texting with him last night, and I was I was watching some of the third down cutups, and kind of expected him to be doing the same thing. And he's watching the Bachelorette, so I gave him a hard time about that because it's unusual for me to find him not watching film when I text him and I'm watching film. But I was talking to him about something, and he goes, "Oh, but be sure, Coach, I'm going to watch some film after this." But he is he's a he's a film junkie, and he's that way because he loves the game, and so his love for the game and his passion for being great drives him to study film and work at it in such a way that his that his arm talent and his brain pay off on the field i know uh, you know for a lot of the country a big 10 just started football up pac 12 is yet to start up so there hasn't a lot been a lot like heisman talk and i know some people might be superstitious to even bring that up but in your opinion just what you've seen out of Zach, do you, do you think people need to take him more seriously for the Heisman trophy this year than what they are? Um, I can't answer that because I don't know how seriously people are taking him. Um, but I will just say, I think it'd be really hard to find, um, to find three or four or five guys who are, who are doing better than he is. And, and obviously the season's not over yet. Um, but I would say based on the body of his work at this point, yeah, they, they should be taking him seriously. And, um, I've only been around one other quarterback who, who had a season like he's having, and that guy won the Heisman. So, um, I think he's certainly, I think he's certainly in the conversation. Thank you. Hey, I think we're good, Coach, unless anyone else has one last question for. Anybody else? Jeff, I was just going to ask about Western Kentucky. Just what have you seen from their defense? Um, a very aggressive team, particularly in the secondary. Their coverage scheme is very similar to Houston. Um, a lot of man, and even when it's not man, it looks like like too high where you have an, an open middle of the field. Often the way they play it, it's really still man, and they free their their safeties up to be really aggressive in the run. And so they, they work really hard to, um, to be aggressive in their coverage and force you to make the tough throws. Some of those um, – some of those contested catches that we made against Houston, I suspect we'll be in the position again where we have to make a lot of those those tough throws and catches. Um, they've got a couple of uh, uh, speed guys who can rush the quarterback and give you a lot of complex blitz patterns on third downs. It seems like every third down they line up in a different front and give you a different four or five man rush pattern. But really, really aggressive, very confident in their ability to cover and a lot of man in the back end and so it'll be it'll be a great challenge for us to run the football because of the the numbers that they commit to stopping the run and then a challenge to throw it because of the tight man coverage that they play okay i think we're good oh hold on uh jay do you have a quick question sorry one more that's okay sorry i I just came in late i don't know if you've been asking oh wait it's for jay no never mind (laughs) no go ahead jay i just was if you've been asked this, I'm sorry, but uh, Hank Tuapiloto finally coming back. How gratifying was that? And what what maybe skill set does he add to the group that you are? Yeah, I'm have? glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Jay. I'm really, really pleased with Hank. He's um, he's a great kid, and he's worked really hard. And gosh, I felt so bad for him last year when that injury happened again. 
Um, but he's a he's an excellent athlete. Um, like like some other guys I've seen at tight end, not the most physically imposing guy. You know, he's not the biggest guy that you would see, not the longest guy, but he's just a good athlete. He just has really good feet, has good spatial awareness, and uh, and has really good soft hands. And so he's a guy that I could see continuing to build his rep count as the season progresses. There's BYU offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Gail Miller holds a press conference I didn't think I'd ever see. She's selling the team, and we'll get to that next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz, after 35 years, are being sold. Unbelievable. Mind-blower. Text and the tweets and the emails went out about 9.30 yesterday morning. By 10 o'clock, there was a press conference. We're going to let you listen to it. The big question, why did they sell? They kind of go into it, but they don't completely go into it. No questions from the media because the sale hasn't been approved by the Board of Governors yet. But uh, still, listen in here as Ryan Smith from Qualtrics and his wife and Gail Miller and Steve Starks hold a press conference and announce the sale of the club for what turns out to be $1.66 billion. And not all of it, 80% of it. Gail's going to hold on to 20% of the club. All right, here's uh, Steve Starks, Gail Miller, and Ryan Smith and his wife, the new owners of the Utah Jazz. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Vivint Arena this morning. My name is Steve Starks. I'm the Chief Executive Officer for the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies, and we welcome a limited number of guests here today practicing social distance and wearing masks. Thank you for your attendance. Here with us today that I would like to acknowledge and welcome is first and foremost, Gail Miller, owner and chair of the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies and the Utah Jazz, Ryan Smith, the founder of Qualtrics and his wife, Ashley, and the many members of the Smith family with us here today, we welcome as well. Gail Miller's children are here, including Greg and Steve. And Kim. Zane, Karen, uh, Cherie, and Brian, who couldn't be with us, but's joining us virtually. And, Karen. and many of their grandchildren and Karen as well. Grateful for them. We have with us Dennis Lindsay, the Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Justin Zanuck, our General Manager, Quinn Snyder, who's joining us virtually, and members of our various leadership teams that are with us today. Also want to acknowledge our many online guests that aren't here with us in person but are joining us, including our elected officials, community partners, and supporters. We're grateful for them. Our dedicated champion partners and sponsors, our strong community partners, our employees, as well as our media and the incredible jazz fans all over the, the state and the world. We also want to welcome and thank our partners from the NBA and other members of the Miller family that couldn't be here but are tuning in virtually. Today is the culmination of strong relationships, shared values, and innovative collaboration. We are thrilled to share with you today's news. During this event, we will hear from Gail Miller, 
Ryan Smith, Ashley Smith. And at this time, I would like to, to turn the time over to Gail Miller, who will be followed by Ryan and Ashley. Gail. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here today, and I thank you all for taking time to join us for this announcement. I've said before that my life has certainly been an unexpected journey, and if 2020's been anything, it qualifies as another of those unexpected journeys. Today I want to talk about a journey that started 35 years ago when Larry and I took a giant step out of our comfort zone and purchased the Utah Jazz. That was the beginning of unimaginable proportions for us and us and our family as far as adventures. We were young and full of excitement at the prospects of being stewards of a unique asset and sharing it with Utah and beyond. We've treasured that stewardship and especially the unifying influence it's had on our city, our state, and even across the country and the world. Over the years, we've been honored to be able to provide good, wholesome entertainment to appreciative audiences. We've had exceptional experiences and developed deep friendships with people all over the world. We've especially appreciated the support of government and church officials and everyone in between. We have experienced intense emotions for 35 years, some high and some low, and some just normal, but we've enjoyed all of it. We've been proud of our city and appreciative of our fans' support. There's no question that we have the, the very best fans in the world. We also love and appreciate our employees. They are exceptional people and have always provided the ultimate guest experience to our patrons. Our coaches and our players have given their all to bring us outstanding teams and exciting games and even taken us to the national or to the finals twice. Our relationship with the NBA has been important and meaningful. Commissioner Stern and Commissioner Silver have both been great friends and allies. We've also been able to build great first-class venues. There's no question that we have had a long and rewarding journey these last 35 years. Today is a day I have never been able to imagine. Today, my family and I are here to announce that we've decided to sell a majority interest in the Utah Jazz and its affiliate business, affiliated businesses to Ryan and Ashley Smith. Now, there's been a lot of attention given in recent years to my putting the team in a legacy trust. This was done in connection with my estate plan with the objective of assuring our loyal fans that the team would remain in Utah. I am fully convinced that with this sale, the objectives of that trust will still be honored. And I want you to know that the new owners have made the same commitment to keep the team in Utah. Included in this transaction are the Utah Jazz, Vivint Arena, and the Salt Lake City Stars. We also plan to sell the Zone Sports Network through a separate agreement certain, subject to certain approvals. 
the Salt Lake Bees will remain connected to the Jazz through a management agreement. I believe Ryan and Ashley embody the things that we as a family hold dear. And as I said before, they are absolutely committed to keeping the jazz in Utah. I have every confidence that they will move the team to the next level while honoring our history, our common goals, and our work. Because we believe so strongly in Ryan and Ashley and are totally invested in the success and mission of the Utah Jazz, our family will retain a minority interest. This transaction is subject to the approval of the NBA Board of Governors. As the new controlling owner, Ryan will become the NBA governor of the Utah Jazz and its affiliates, and he will become the key decision maker for, excuse me, for all basketball business and operations related to the team, and he will have our full support. Selling the Utah Jazz was a huge decision. But doing so becomes a catalyst for our family and businesses to continue to evolve and enrich lives while also allowing Ashley and Ryan to begin their journey. Our family looks forward to the adventures Ryan and Ashley will create on this journey and we wish them the very best. Again, I wanna thank my family who has been very supportive and unified. The players, the coaches and staff, our employees, and our partners, and especially our fans. I also want to especially recognize the hard work of Steve Starks and our management team and the long hours that they've worked to make this deal happen. They have been unbelievable. I also want to thank my husband, Kim, for his patience and support during these negotiations. I also want to thank Larry for making this absolutely remarkable journey possible. We love all of you, and we care about all of you, and we appreciate your support all these years. With that, Ryan, I'll turn the time over to you. That's hard to follow. Um, but Gail, um, we couldn't be more humbled. We couldn't be more honored um, with your trust. Uh, your 35 year stewardship and legacy is one that I believe is Utahns. Um, we're all in debt to you and the Miller family. Um, our commitment is that we're gonna build on that legacy and we're gonna continue. Um, including Larry's legacy, which our courts has his name on it. And we couldn't um, be more, more grateful for you. And we, we, we know that all you do is good. And that's what the Miller family does. And being able to, to be a conduit to help that continue and then to continue to have you as a minority owner in the jazz is incredibly, um, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, I've approached Gail and the Millers a couple times. Um, there's no secret about my interest in, in the NBA. And there's really no secret about my interest in the jazz. 
I grew up watching the jazz. This is the team I've cheered for. I played junior jazz. Like I dreamed of playing for the jazz, but that didn't work out. Um, but as I was sitting there this week with my kids in a junior jazz program that you guys started with hundreds of kids running around, the legacy that you have created is, is, is untouchable. And um, we're all just incredibly grateful for that. Um, the jazz are a gift to this whole community. And that's how we view it. That's 100% how we view this. And, you know, we, we look to use this platform to continue to do good. So thank you, Gail. Thank you, the Miller family. Um, the, the partnership that we've had over the last couple of years as corporate sponsors and as the Jersey Patch sponsor has been incredible to watch how you operate and, and show us how it's done. Um, thank you, Steve, for, for working through this and for just for caring. Um, caring about this asset for the community. Um, thanks to, to Dennis and Quinn and the players, the coaches, the staff. And, and most importantly, um, I think we have the best fans in the world. And that's, that's, that's exciting. And I, I'm, I think we're, we're extremely excited to, to continue this journey and build upon the legacy that's here. And that's, that's honestly what's made this possible. And um, there's not a, really another team or another opportunity that we, we would do this with. And there's no one I'd rather do it with than my wife, Ashley. And um, she's been pretty wise and not, not let us explore other opportunities outside of Utah at the level that, that maybe um, opportunities have come up. And um, so I'm gonna turn it over to her. Well, we are really excited. <laughs> um, we love basketball. We love the jazz. And we really love Utah. So this is, this is an awesome event for us. Um, we are blown away and honored that we get to share this experience with Utah and Jazz Nation. Um, for us, the jazz has been about love for our little family. It's about love, it's about spending time together. It's about um, sharing experiences sharing victories or losses or lessons learned and hard work and all the ups and downs that come with any great adventure. And I think this really is going to be an incredible adventure and an adventure that we get to share with all of you. And that's exciting. Um, we are really grateful to the Millers and their trust in us to be stewards over what they have built. And like Ryan said, it is extremely humbling. Um, we're committed to their vision. We're committed to Utah and we're committed to the jazz. So let's go. All right. There's the press conference. I wish there'd been questions from the media. There's so many more things to know. PK and I will get into them over the course of the morning. I know a lot of you want to get ready for college football, not just this week, but over the next two weeks. And we will do that with Riley Jensen next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. Mark Miller Subaru bringing you DJ and PK and Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What's going on? Well, you know, we're curious after a couple games here. Your Aggies played Boise State, and obviously Boise State dominated that game, except for one, I don't know, 10 to 15-minute stretch there in the second half. Uh, What does it tell you about a BYU-Boise State matchup? If anything, what did you figure out this this past weekend? Well, I think I think I think Boise State's pretty good, but I also think I, I don't think Utah State, and I don't I don't think this is something that Gary wouldn't wouldn't tell you face to face. I think they they struggled in a lot of aspects of the games. Um, you know, watching watching them tackle, watching their offense. I mean, there's there's a lot of improvement that needs to take place for Utah State. However, I would consider Utah State to be equal to most of the teams that BYU has played, if not better. And so when you're looking at that, I think Utah State needs to improve. Um, With the exception of Houston, I think Utah State's a better team than most of the teams that BYU's played. So I guess the long answer that I'm giving right now is BYU is very good. Boise State is very good. I'm looking forward to that matchup, and that will be a great matchup for BYU to see exactly where they are. Uh, that's well and good, but how jacked are you for the reboot of Saved by the Bell? <laughs> you know, there's part of me that's a little bit excited about that because, you know, that that's right in my wheelhouse. I mean, we're talking yep. about Zach. We're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. that was that was a fun yep. show to watch back in the day. Of no, course. Of course. Of I'm course. Not, I'm not jacked up at all. I, I, in fact, yeah. until, you just, until you just said that, I had no idea there was a reboot. So thanks for ruining my day. <laughs> he yanked I, your chain. You're not going to stand for that. I just made your year. <laughs> right? I didn't ruin you. The what? idea of Kelly Kapowski... Oh, Lord. <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> Listen, you know, usually I just have a bad five minutes and I like to milk it all day. That's what I'm going to do today. I don't really have bad days. I just have a bad five minutes. and I milk. Today, I'm going to milk it all day. I'm going to be a miserable person. I'm going to talk about how PK ruined my day all day over Saved by the Bell. <laughs> I, and, and when you ask me why, PK, I'm going to say, I learned it from you, PK. I learned it from watching you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you and I, and along with millions of others, if not hundreds of millions of others, will be watching Saved by the Bell reboot, that's for sure. And then we'll compare <laughs> notes on how much we liked it when it airs. I don't even know when it's airing or what station. But whatever it is, we'll get back to that. But for now, we'll do a little football this okay, thing okay. that uh, Zach Wilson, man, getting so much run nationally, and this quarterback stuff, and this quarterback, these quarterback gurus, these things, these guys have been around for a while. I mean, when I worked down in California, there was a couple of guys that you heard that quarterbacks that were going to SC, these Orange County guys, they were going to, and these guys were sort of below the radar because there wasn't as much publicity that gets out now. And, and now we're hearing about John Beck and and how uh, 
uh, what's Wilson has taken Uber to get down there or whatever, whatever he's doing. Uh, what do you think about it? What is making this such a big story? Because there's got to be more to it. It's got to be beneficial to the kids. So what's actually going on there that makes it beneficial? To, to be honest with you, I, I I really like what – so. and you'll remember this name, PK, because I know you've been involved in the baseball world, but the guy who really started this and, and, and really started the company that John Beck works for is Tom House. Yeah, and Tom House is an old baseball guy, right? Uh, with a scientific background, and he's broken down the throws of pitchers and the scientific elements. He's broken the throws of football quarterbacks into the scientific elements, and he's been able to to land some big names. So, and and I think the genius or the 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 the, the intuitive move by Tom House was to hire really, really good former NFL quarterbacks that, that know what they're doing. They may not have been a huge name, but, but they knew what they were doing. Like John Beck, um, there's a guy out of Arizona State that they've hired. There's a few different quarterbacks that they've hired. And, look, uh, I mean, I, I won't mention any names of, like, high school kids, but they all go down there with hopes that if if Tom House and John Beck and these guys feel like these guys are big-time quarterbacks – I mean, they're buying some of the networking to get to the next level, right? So, you know, John Beckman knows guys at BYU. He knows guys from around the NFL that are now coaching college. And so do these other quarterbacks, and so does Tom House. And then the kids get a cool opportunity to work out with Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And there's all kinds of guys that fly down to Orange County and work out with these guys. There's some quarterbacks that I know, and I know there's one that that actually lives here locally in the offseason that was a pro quarterback who actually didn't like to go there because he felt like it was too scientific and that they were trying to break it down too much. And he's like, look, if I've made it to the NFL, I've made it because I can throw the ball, not because, you, you know, not because I need to, like, work on my mechanics. He goes, I can pay anyone to put me through a workout. <laughs> so depending on who you are, you like it. But they're making a big story out of this. Uh, with John Beck and Tom House, but and and I'm not trying to take away from those guys because I I think they do a fantastic job. But Zach Wilson was going to be an NFL type quarterback regardless of whether he was driving down there on weekends. To me, I mean, I I just felt I've I've felt for a long time that Zach has all the tools that as long as he puts it together on the field as far as reads and all that kind of stuff. Um, that he was going to be great. So I really feel like the credit goes to Aaron Roderick um, um, for developing this guy. I think one of the things that I've complained about at BYU in particular over the years is that BYU quarterbacks and some of the players in different positions had not improved while they were at BYU. So I thought they were good players coming out of high school. They were highly touted recruits, all that kind of stuff. And then they didn't improve. To me, there's nothing that Riley Jensen can do in a personal workout with Zach Wilson that's going to help him to be able to read the field better, to actually like see the moving parts and make the throws against the 7-on-7 seven seven defense. But Aaron Roderick can, and Aaron Roderick can help him study and watch and learn and then implement plays in the practice scenario that are, that are going to make him better. And I'm just... I'm surprised that Aaron Roderick's not getting a little bit more run for doing such a great job with Zach. And and Zach is a great quarterback, but I also 
I also think that Zach's improved quite a bit under the tutelage of Aaron Roderick. So a couple things. Uh, there are guys who, after they do the maximum amount of time with their coach, in this case Aaron Roderick, uh, want to hang out and do other stuff. And so I think part of this story is, hey, this guy wanted to work around the clock, around the calendar, and he didn't care about 10 or 12-hour drives to Southern California. And so that's part of the story, how, how much he wants to work. But I think for teams going forward, you know, there's a, as soon as the NCAA has a rule, then schools, coaches, teams start trying to figure out how to get around the rule. So how does a school line up someone for the guys who are driven and the guys who want to invest the time once they hit the 20-hour rule and once they hit these periods in the calendar where there's a, a blackout time and coaches can't work with players? How do they set something up so guys can get in more work and more reps? Because some guys want and need it, and some may want time away or whatever and have other stuff going on in their life. But how do they set that up? Because clearly there's value in that. If nothing else, that it builds confidence in players, even if it's just repeating the same stuff they've already heard. Well, I mean, I know for a fact, just because I know of Cam Cooper up at Washington State, when he was playing for Leach, Leach was like, look, Go go to your quarterback coach during the season if you want. Go to your quarterback coach on the weekends. He goes, I'm going to teach you how to call. I'm, I'm going to call the plays. I'm going to teach you how to read it. Go get your fundamentals and get all that kind of stuff with your individual quarterback coach. And some of those guys up in Washington State were flying down to Southern California and were flying down to San Francisco. And, I mean, you'll remember this name, uh, PK. There's a guy named Rob Johnson. There's a guy named Steve Clarkson. Those are the guys I was thinking of. Different guys yeah. that are doing all yeah. these quarterback trainings, um, you know, um, and and there's guys locally that are working out, you know, college quarterbacks on the weekends. The the cool thing I think that we can take from this about Zach Wilson, he's always been a football rat. He's always been the kid that can't get enough. That was willing to quit basketball his senior year, where he was the starting point guard for two years just so that he could get in the weight room more and make more throws. I mean, this this kid loves the game of football, and um, sometimes that works against you, you know, where where I, I think he made a comment his freshman year, like, I, I, I plan on beating the Utes three times before I'm graduated here, and, and he had a couple of tough losses, right? And I'm sure he would love to play against the University of Utah this year sometime. And – but but he's a football rat, and he has high expectations for himself. He has high expectations for the guys that are around him, and I think it's serving him well right now because this is this this schedule has has been really really good for BYU to build some confidence back and to build some of their swagger back. And Zach Wilson, regardless of who he's playing against, has made the next step, and that step is probably going to cash in a lot of money for him on the next level in the NFL. Yeah, it's, it's the word funny isn't the right word, but it's sort of funny in that uh, you bring up Aaron Roderick as much because I think it was the second game, maybe the third game, but I think it was the second game after they kept making a big deal about this quarterback situation going down to Southern California. I got a communication from one of the BYU coaches that said, thank God John Beck saved our season. <laughs> see what i mean i mean i mean really like i mean I, I think it's great and and i am not taking anything away 
I do a lot of, of coaching on the side, but you're limited as, as to what you can do, right? You're limited as to what you can help them with. If you're not in a scenario where you can teach them a fundamental and then add in seven on seven and add a team practice situation to help them actually develop it. And, and Eric Roderick has done a great job. And Aaron Roderick has never been a guy that beats on his chest. He's never been a guy that's a me guy that has to have a lot of compliments or a lot of exposure for the things that he that he does. But I think we're starting to see that a seasoned veteran coach down at BYU is doing some good things with Zach Wilson. I wanted to ask you about, uh, we talked about it earlier in the week, about this idea of when it comes to recruiting that you make a pledge to a guy and a kid makes a pledge to you and you don't recruit anybody else because obviously that's what played out with this Tuttle situation. Well, we don't even know if Zach Wilson is at BYU. And then we see SC has got multiple offers they've got multiple commitments they're just they're not you know, just uh orally they're not uh, anything that can be signed yet and well, what do you think about that as far as i'm wondering about the quarterback i'll come here if you don't sign anybody else in my mind does that sort of scream a little bit uh, i don't want any competition yeah i think i think university of utah's learned They've, they've learned from that situation. And I actually, you know, we've been talking about Aaron Roderick, and I think, I mean, he was the one that was going to land Jack Tuttle, and he was the one that recruited Jack Tuttle. And I think he just thought that he was the right guy, and so they thought that it was the right thing to do. Um, unfortunately, quarterbacks transfer. And, uh, and if things don't go well, they transfer. So I think, I think coaches are trying to play that fine line between being – uh, dedicated to the guy that they really want, they think is the best quarterback that that is the that fits their program, and they're trying to play that line between um, having a guy that's not afraid to compete, but also getting a guy that you don't want to lose because there's so many other people that want him, right? And so, you know, Zach got picked up late, and I, listen, I have this theory. I have this theory on quarterbacks, and you guys can tell me what you think about it, but there's there's a problem with quarterbacks feeling like they've arrived. If there's it, so, and I can go back through the years, and I can like make an argument for this in the NFL, but like maybe John Elway and Peyton Manning are the exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, almost every quarterback that's been successful in the NFL has some sort of story that keeps a giant chip on their shoulders. So, I mean, just just one that I know really well. Philip Rivers is from Alabama. Do you think that he wanted to play? Like, do you think his first choice growing up was to play for North Carolina State and be a quarterback at North Carolina State? No. Uh, Drew Brees grew up in Texas. Do you think that his first choice was to play at Purdue? Right? Do you think Jordan Love out of Utah State – and I don't, I don't mean this to like hurt Utah State's feelings, but you think that he grew up thinking, man, if I could just get to Utah State <laughs> to play, I know that everything's going to fall into place. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers playing junior college football and then playing for Cal Berkeley, who's mid to lower um, Pac-10, even when he's playing, do you think that was his dream school? And so these guys, these quarterbacks, when they still have a chip on their shoulder, when they still have 
something to work for, I think that things work out better for them because they feel like they still have something to prove. Whereas there's other guys, and, and you know, we've done this before on the show where I've gone through Elite 11. I mean, Elite 11, like the success rate of Elite 11 is it, they pick they pick like 25% of those guys and they go to the NFL. I feel like I could do that. Right, like I, I feel like you and DJ and PK, like me, us three in this room, we could go through and we could pick out the best players in the country. We think that are high school quarterbacks. I think we could lane twenty five percent of them in the NFL. Right, yeah, right. But the most yeah. part, but for the most part, elite eleven guys transfer three times. There's and right. so the thing that you can't pick out are guys that really want to work and really want to compete. And when guys really want to compete, that's when the magic happens, especially at the quarterback position. So how would you suggest that coaches adjust their recruiting? Because you told us earlier in this interview, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, former Aggie quarterback, that you thought Zach had NFL caliber skills. I'm paraphrasing. You can adjust that if you want. Coming out of high school, you thought he had a chance. And yet, the local schools, at the start, nobody wants him. Now, BYU, late in the game, Kalani goes there and does the whole apology. I should have been talking to you earlier. I should have offered you earlier. And they get him. But early on, none of them are going after him. And he's got to go up to a Boise State camp and show his stuff and convince those guys, oh, here's this is the overlooked guy that Boise State's been powering a program for 20 years with. If you know it, how come none of them know it? Or is there something about the recruiting process? They know it, but they're not invested in him for one reason or another. The Utes, because they think Tuttle is probably going to be an NFL guy. Maybe the Aggies don't think they can get him. I don't know that backstory. How would you adjust the recruiting process so this doesn't happen? Because he almost slipped through the net and almost didn't play in the state. Well, I mean, Utah State did offer him. Okay. Um, but um, this, is what I, this is what I think happens. I there's too much, and and as much as college coaches want to fool us into thinking that you know they're crossing all their T's and dotting all their I's, but there's and and I don't mean this in any disrespect to a movement that was going on in the country, but there's too much me too going on um, with college recruiting. It's like, oh wait, how come how come Cal Berkeley offered this guy? Or uh. I you haven't told me anything about this quarterback. Well, I mean, I can offer him. I mean, I talk to dude. We need to offer this guy. We, you know, and then they get in this pressure situation where they're like, "How come we haven't offered?" And they don't do their homework. They they don't do their homework. Typically, the teams that do their homework do a better job. And I've and I've said on this interview before, when Cam Cooper was being recruited by the likes of Georgia and you know all around the country, just like Jackson Dart's getting recruited at Corner Canyon now, there was only three coaches who really did their homework, who wanted to know what this guy was like off the field. Besides looking at film and just talking to the kid on the phone, they were they were ready they were ready to pull the trigger, right? But they weren't they weren't going in depth, like what kind of a student is he? They didn't talk to teachers to find out like what kind of a kid is he really? I know the coaches tell me that he's a great kid. They're not they're not even asking the coaches, is this guy the type of guy that like gets in the film room and likes to look at film that understand that that understands that he has to be a little bit different to be a quarterback on the next level. And, I mean, I think Ed Larson at, at Lehigh was very surprised by that process, that there wasn't more people that that asked him about his study habits, about 
how much he loves the game, all that kind of stuff with Cam Cooper. Now, maybe some, maybe more did with with Zach Wilson, but I feel like Zach. I mean, he slipped through the cracks. Number one, because he wasn't quite as big a frame to start with. But I also think a lot of kids in the state of Utah slipped through the cracks because nobody has exploded like Zach Wilson on the next level. And I think Zach Wilson is doing a huge favor to quarterbacks in the state of Utah right now because if he goes on and he plays in the NFL and he plays well, I promise you there are going to be a lot more teams from around the country that are in the state of Utah going, hey, if they got Zach Wilson out of the state of Utah and he was playing against that competition and he did that well on the next level, then there can be other quarterbacks. And I think maybe even Jackson Dart might already be someone that's like, you know, um, receiving some of the love of the success of Zach Wilson. Now, Jackson's really well, and he's really good in his own right. So um, I've always said, and I've, I've said it on this show, as soon as somebody breaks through from the state of Utah, you're going to see it open up, and it won't just be offensive and defensive linemen and linebackers that get recruited from the state of Utah. It'll be quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, all positions when a quarterback makes it big on the next level. All right, thanks, Riley. As always, we appreciate it. And uh, saved by the bell, I guess just follow your conscience. (laughs) I'll I'll see you guys around. Thanks for having me on the show. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, including the sale of the Utah Jazz. Stay with us.